my tagline to people all the time, never limit where running can take you. Geographically, uh, yeah. physically, spiritually, emotionally, uh, you can, there's a lot more out there than you think. And I'm living proof of that. Welcome to Maybe Running Will Help, the podcast that reminds us that running is about more than just performance and PRs. I'm Nikki Tamburino, also known on Instagram as One Classy Mother Runner. I'm an RRCA certified running coach and personal development enthusiast who knows firsthand that running has the power to transform our minds and our lives one step at a time. I'm excited to bring you stories from the community as well as research so we can explore the expected and not so expected ways running can and has helped make life better, regardless of your pace, place, or experience. Let's get started. Bart Yasso, the mayor of running, is one of the best-known figures in our sport. And if you, like me, are most familiar with Mr. Yasso because of the notorious 800s he invented for our coaches to torture us during marathon training, I'm glad you're joining us. There's a lot more than training to talk about with Bart. I was captivated by his story and his life through running, and today we're going to talk about his inspiring role in the running community, beginning with why he started running, how it transformed his life, and then we'll close with why he believes this sport can be enjoyed long after PRs. Now, before we get to what I really want to talk to him about, which is his inspiring role in the running community and why he thinks running will help, I have been kind of mad at him for the past few years, and I think you know why. I imagine you get tagged in a lot of, like, angry Track Tuesday posts. Oh, yeah. I hear, uh, I get a lot of messages and tweets and posts about, uh, <laughs> Post your name 10 times today. So I love it. How did you come up with the Yasso 800s? Where did this come from? Well, for some reason, that was my favorite workout. What? People say to me like, oh, you got to go on this thread. These people are bashing Yasso 800s and they say they don't work and all this stuff. And I said, I don't have to go on any thread. I never said they worked for anyone but me. It could be a combo of if people don't do a lot of mileage, I don't think it works for a lot of people. You know, if you're only running, trying to do marathons on, say, 25 miles a week. Uh, back then, I used to run, you know, over 100 miles a week. It was very common in the late 70s, 80s. Uh, I don't do that kind of running anymore. But that was just the workout. And then this correlation in my training logs where I would see what I averaged the 800s was my marathon time. And I was like, Wow, that's a cool coincidence, but I didn't, still didn't think anything of it. And then I told Ambie Burfoot about it. And at the time, Ambie Burfoot was the editor at Runner's World, where I worked, and uh, a winner of the Boston Marathon, a guy that knows a lot about running, probably the most pro prolific running writer, and I think the best running writer in the U.S. And Ambie just went ballistic that he thought it was the coolest thing. So we, you know, I, I showed him how it worked. I, we were rooming together. I think it was the Portland Marathon. And then I ran Marine Corps or New York or somewhere a couple of weeks later. And, it, you know, he, he saw that it worked exactly the workout I went out to do. And then the marathon time. So he just thought it was genius. Yeah. So he said it was like finding a star. And if you find a star, they name it after you. So he named the workout after me. And he did like that I had an unusual last name. Ambi just was convinced it would be a big hit in the magazine. You know, it was before we had a website. And uh, he was right. I exactly. didn't believe him, but Ambi is a really smart guy and a great editor, and he really knew his stuff. And that was in, uh, it was in Runner's World in 1993 was the article. Right after that, this thing came out called the Internet. And, uh, and then it took off. I'm not kidding. There's not a day in my life that I don't get either a post, a message, a text, a email about Yasso 800s. Not a day in my life. That's great. I do remember being in, in a coffee shop and a woman walked in and recognized me. And she said, you aren't Bar Yasso, right? And I said, yes. And I was drinking coffee, working on my laptop. And you know, there were a lot of people in this coffee shop, probably, I don't know, 30, 40 people. And she, she goes... I curse your name every Wednesday. And that's all she said to me. And she walked over to get coffee. <laughs> and the whole coffee shop went silent and everyone looked at me. And 
you know, when I tell that story about around runners, they all laugh, but this coffee shop didn't laugh because they thought, yeah. So the, thank God that after she got her coffee, she came over and talked to me. So then they, you know, we were laughing and having fun. So they knew whatever I did was not bad. Your actual story into running is super inspiring and super interesting. And like, it's really, it's really cool to get to know like such legendary runners like yourself in that way. Um, so that's what I want to do today, like to yes. bring you to our community and talk about like, you know, what your life looked like before running and, and how, um, you know, maybe running will help. How, how did that like enter your mind? Like, maybe I should, maybe I should start running and then what happened? So, um, I'd love if you'd start at the beginning, like, uh, sure. what did it look like before running? You know, I was kind of lost and, uh, you know, I was drinking a lot of beer and smoking pot. Thank God I never got into like hard drugs or into, uh, more than just beer and alcohol. I mean, maybe, you know, maybe some crappy wine every once in a while, but, but I was drinking way too much and thought, you know, it was a way, you know, and I was, I surrounded myself with people that did the same thing. So it seemed normal to me, but at some point when you look out of where you were and say, okay, I don't want to do this. This is not what I want to do. So when I started running, I wasn't thinking, Oh, I'm going to do the Boston marathon or you know, I, that was like, not in the cards. I just wanted to get healthy and run. So I used to see this neighbor run and, uh, you know, my brothers all ran a little bit. My dad used to run a little bit. So I said, okay, I'm going to start and just, you know, see what I can do. And I ran a, a mile that first time. And I thought, wow, this course is brutal. I, I was died in that mile. Uh, and I started running with my dog and then, you know, two miles and then three miles and then, you know, once a week turns to twice a week, turns to three miles a week. It's like everyone's journey. We all start out somewhere. And then yeah. uh, my older brother, George, who was like my father figure, he challenged me to a race. And because uh, he was convinced I could be a good runner if I really put my mind to it and, and trained. And I didn't think that, but he did. So uh, he challenged me at his 10K race. And sure enough, he beat me. I couldn't believe he beat me. Uh, Cause I was, you know, I was running a fair amount of miles and I thought, you know, I'll start, I'll start out and run with them and then I'll beat them. But, but I just remember that first race, a 10 kilometer race. I started out so fast and then realized uh, I learned more about pacing yourself. Yeah. <laughs> a year later we went back and I think I spotted them 10 minutes and I still beat them. So it was yeah. a big, big change. Uh, but, but you start somewhere and I owe a lot to George. I mean, he really was a great father figure to me. And, uh, he really, he was right. I mean, he put me on a path. He knew just enough to nudge me along, you know, not, I had to do the hard work, but he was kind of guiding me a little bit and, uh, you know, but I, I really wish, of course, as you know, we didn't have cell phones in the, in the late seventies or I think I went out for that first run. It was in 77, uh, 1977. But I really wish I could have taken a selfie. Really wish I could have taken a selfie. Really wish I could have taken a selfie. Get a selfie, selfie. Or have a picture of what I look like. Because I had long hair, <laughs> beard, Budweiser t-shirt, cut-off jeans with a belt, tube socks up to my knees, a beat-up pair of shoes that you get. It's like a you know, not at a running store, like a Kmart or something. And, and but that's what I looked like when out there and did that first mile. And I, you know, if I, if somebody would have greeted me when I finished that mile and said, Hey, you're going to end up in the running hall of fame and you're going to end up working at runners world magazine for 31 years. And you're going to run. Uh, I, I counted a COVID due COVID. I had some extra time. I counted that I've done runs and, I believe it was 54 countries. You know, somebody would have told me that. I would have told them you are completely insane. I'm just hoping I can run another mile in like three days. <laughs> but it happened to me. So, you know, it's just crazy. I never dreamed that. Uh, and even when I got into running and doing races and running Boston and doing all this stuff, uh, still never thought, you know, I'll end up at Runner's World Magazine for 31 years and running would be my livelihood and 
you know, it's just, it's just crazy how it turned out. Do you attribute like your success with running or your attachment to it? Was it the community that kind of drew you in like at first? Yeah, that's a great, great uh, question. Nikki. It's, it's one of those things where if you're not in a running community, you don't know the solace in it and, and the motivation in it and the camaraderie and the nice people. Once you're immersed in it, then you're like, oh, that's a good group of people. And that's really what happened to me. I became the, you know, I was like the vice president of a local running club. And I did a lot of stuff with running and putting on races and you just meet everyone. And it was a good place for me to be. One of Bart's most incredible stories, and he has a lot of them, is a story that he tells in chapter one of his book, My Life on the Run, about his third trip to climb Mount Kilimanjaro. I was feeling, you know, crappy. I knew something was wrong. And I did have Lyme disease earlier in the, I get, first time I got Lyme disease was in 1990. And then when I went over and I believe it was 97, uh, you know, I got picked up another tick bite and I didn't, I knew I was feeling crappy, but I didn't think it was lying. I just thought, ah, I'm just pushing it too much. Just go on this trip, I'll be fine. But I was not fine. I was, uh, we stopped in Cairo to do a run out by the pyramids. And man, I felt so bad after that run. I had a fever. And the next thing I know, I'm in the hospital in Cairo, which is a rough place to be in the hospital. But yeah. then I felt better. So I continued on the trip and went into Kenya and then into Tanzania. And then I knew something was not right. But I was still able to run. What? Bart made it two-thirds of the way up Mount Kilimanjaro, just six miles shy of the summit, when he had to call it quits. He woke up unable to see out of his right eye, and the right side of his face was paralyzed. And then, uh, and then I got really sick climbing Kilimanjaro. And that's when I got all this paralysis and all this stuff. And then a couple nights in the hospital in Tanzania, and then... The doctor came to me and said, we can't do anything for you. So he suggested to get to Kenya, get to Nairobi, look for a doctor trained in Western medicine. So a couple of days in a hospital in Kenya, and that doctor said, you know, you know, I was literally dying in front of his eyes. Like he said, I'll do what I can for you, but I don't know what's wrong with you. Bart eventually got a diagnosis of a disease which had advanced to a dangerous stage. So I... Uh, Headed home and got in the hospital here and found out it was Lyme, uh, you know, a new bite, a new infection. And uh, I got, I was pretty sick and it messed me up for quite a while. Lyme disease is an infectious disease caused by bacteria transmitted through a bite from a tick. Symptoms include fever, fatigue, headache, muscle aches, joint pain, and other problems that can be mistaken for viruses such as the flu. As you'll hear later, Bart's joint problems and pain continue today, sometimes making it difficult and painful to run. But he keeps it positive and is always thankful for what his body can do. Like way before I went on the Africa trip, I committed to doing the three hour pace group at Chicago. So, and that would have been, you know, just an easy, day out long run for me at the time and uh but then when i got sick and then you know ambi ambi said to me he said you don't have to do it if you physically don't think you can do it i said no i'm gonna train hard these next couple weeks i'll i'll do it don't worry about it. and uh <laughs> and i did you know i got myself in a good enough shape to to go out there and just run for you know under three hours for the marathon uh but what's funny was ambi he was so taken back by how I turned it around. And he tell, you know, he's back then we used to have these seminars and the hundreds of people used to come to it because pacing wasn't done back then, these pace groups. And uh, I remember Amby telling the crowd, yeah, just three months ago, this guy couldn't walk around our office and now he's going to pace you under three hours. And people are looking like, we don't know that we don't trust this guy. I think what I read is that the end of Amby's speech went something like this. Bart was really sick, and no one thought he would ever run again, especially me. But here he is leading the fastest pace group. It's unbelievable. 
<laughs> One person in Bart's pace group was like, dude, are you sure you can run a 259.30? Because I have to break three hours. It's my lifetime goal. Now, I have enough trouble sleeping the night before I'm trying to haul myself over the finish line in under three, let alone pace people who are depending on me. But for Bart, it was no sweat. I, I had no problem running sub three. It was actually pretty easy to do. Uh, and I just like clicked them off. It was really fun. After successfully honoring his commitment in Chicago, Bart vowed the next race would be for him. He didn't want other people's goals to define his relationship with the sport. He chose to do the Smoky Mountain Marathon in Tennessee because it would make a nice vacation, not because he wanted to post a fast time. You know, a comeback race where you were as sick as I was, it was really fun to do. And I did not expect to win the race. But I remember, the thing I remember the most, the lesson I learned was there was a three-mile hill in the race, mile 19 to 20, miles 19 to 22 were uphill. And I mean, there were a lot of hills in the Smoky Mountain Marathon, but that was a serious climb for three miles. And I remember all the runners going out and driving it, you know, and they're going up and down in their cars, checking this hill out. And they came back to the hotel and there were a bunch of runners said, oh, you got to go out and check out the hill. I said, no, I don't. They said, it, it's going to be there tomorrow. <laughs> race so we're, we're, they're not going to take it away they said no we gotta know that the i'm like i'm fine and i swear that's why i won the race because at the base of the hill i was in a pack of like four or five runners and when i got to the top of that hill i couldn't i didn't hear any breathing i didn't hear any people and you know i think they psyched themselves out they knew this hill and uh, i just you know just ran up the hill. I, I love hills. Living in Pennsylvania, I run a lot of hills. Bart had a new mindset as he went into this race. He trained hard, but not as often. He slowed things down and started noticing his surroundings along his hometown trails. He went for a hike the day before the race instead of stressing about the race conditions and course elevation. And at age 43, he won his first marathon. It was really a fun experience. Because I thought my winning racing days were over. And as sick as I was, which was about uh, seven months prior to that race, I, there's no way I thought I could ever run that fast and do that well. So it was kind of kind of fun. I mean, when you come back from something like that, it's kind of like a mental shift. And that's what I wanted to like ask you about. Because I think that race for you was like a mental shift. Yeah, it's kind of, you know, Nikki, it's kind of like when things go well, you kind of take it for granted because why wouldn't you everything stars are aligned you go out and you know go to the track wednesday night killer you know track workout friday killer hill workout sunday get up and run 20 power 26 miles whatever you know i used to do really long runs all the time and it was just i could do it you know and i realized in that race like this probably would be my last chance to win a marathon so i should really like come in with nothing left. Like, don't even leave one step on that course. Run to the edge of, we used to say in the office, run on the edge of death. We always said that in, in the runner's <laughs> office. Right. I had, I had that mantra going through my head. It It's a lesson learned for yourself, you know, that you, uh, you know, we can never take a, even a day for granted. And, uh, you know, every run is a blessing and just be happy we can physically do what we do. And don't worry, don't worry about the pace. Because if I worried about the pace, I wouldn't run at all. But at one point I did, you know, my personal best for 50 miles is six hours and 11 minutes. And that's like seven, I think it's like 724 per mile pace for 50 miles. And I, I you know what, and I tried many times in my in recent years to try to do one mile at 724 <laughs> what i did because I, I set a goal for myself for the year i said okay well you used to average for 50 miles see if you can do one mile at that pace could never do it i didn't even break eight minutes forget about 724 it's it happens you know part of i slowed down a little more than i should have due to illness and okay. lyme disease did a lot of uh, damage in my nerves, which I know plays a role in why I can't uh, can't run as well as I used to. 
but I was gonna I'm gonna slow down anyway, just based on age. Right. You know, there are some runners that come into the sport late in life and they run very fast in their sixties and seventies and uh, but there's also people that have been doing this for like myself for forty five years or forty four years and the well is only so deep. It's just a curve. You're going to start slowing down, but it's not. You just got to accept it and enjoy it. I don't. I don't let it bother me. Every once in a while, it will get to me because I think I just want to just be out there and just run smooth. I don't care what the pace is. And my right leg, it, most of the damage I have is on the right side of my body, and sometimes mm -hmm. my leg really doesn't work. And then I, I make the mistake to think, oh yeah, I can do six today. I'll be fine. And then I get three miles out and I'm really struggling. Uh, and it's not, that's the only time it's really not swelling, but that's rare. I always tell people, uh, you know, yeah, yeah, I was out. I did five miles on the rail trail today. I passed four people. Uh, and then they look at me like, and I said, well, they were coming the other way on the rail trail. Cause I literally, I don't pass ever pass a runner. When I go out for a run, I see people on the rail trail and I said, um, I joined this new running club. It's called, I only pass people that are coming the other direction. Cause that is God's truth. Look at me. I'm flying. I'm, oh, no, wait, maybe not. Uh, but, you know, it doesn't, uh, it, it's fine. You remember, do you remember at that point when you started to realize that like, Hey, I'm not, you're not going to be able to hit those paces anymore. And you started to realize that like, you know, I got to find a new reason for running that doesn't have to do with performance. Do you remember that? when that started I mean, to happen and how that I had pe people that I worked with like Amby Burfoot, who's like, uh, Amby, I believe is eight years older than I am. Uh, and you know, he guy won the Boston marathon and then, you know, when he was running now is running when, when we were working together at runner's world, he'd do five K's in like 22 minutes and it didn't bother him. And, you know, so I had, People like that that I saw, they were just happy to be out there running. So, you know, Amby now, Amby is, uh, he's in that 75 to 79 category and he still wins his age group and still runs well. And yeah. He's, running, yeah, he's done this race in Connecticut on Thanksgiving Day 58 years in a row. He's won, run this race. So, he, wow. He's been at it that long. So I had people that, you know, I looked up to that I could see slowing down and it didn't bother them. So I, you know, I said, well, it's not going to bother me. It's just the way it goes. Next, we'll hear Bart talk about some of the ways he's witnessed changes in the sport of running over the past 40 plus years. Chip timing changed the sport to so much better because uh it was really you know it just wasn't fair to people that started at the back and there was this you know like the first time i did boston which was 40 years ago uh there weren't corrals or anything but you lined up based on where you thought you should be like we didn't push to get to the front unless you were going to win the race you know you looked and said okay you know, I'm going to run, you know, like 6.15 per mile or eventually ran like almost right at six minutes per mile. And so you lined up where you thought people would be doing that pace. And so you lost time at the start, but that's you just said, hey, you know, if I want to be in that front row, I got to get faster. And that's yeah, the way it, yeah. it was a good honor system. Uh, there were people that abused this system, but very but there were more people that obeyed it than abused it by far. So we just, but I felt bad for people that, uh, you know, that really were what you would say call back of the pack people. Cause they really lost a lot of time. And it, it was only what we called gun time. When the gun yeah. went off, rock started. And when you got to the finish line, that's the time. Yeah. And you don't think about it, that. Yeah. That's crazy. Well, the first two Boston's I did 82 and 83, they did not count runners that finished after three hours and 35 minutes. You were not considered a finisher. You could go across the finish line, but you were not in the results. What? And now yeah. the median time in the Boston Marathon 
on normal weather is like 345 or 342, somewhere in there. So literally, if we went by the rules back in the 80s, half the runners in the race wouldn't count. They wouldn't be finishers. <laughs> Actually, more. Yeah. Like, yeah, probably like 55% of the runners wouldn't be in the results. So thank oh, the board has changed a lot. Uh, I was going to say, that's crazy to think about how much it's changed. Yeah. And, you know, when they first did the standards, the guys had around 250 and women 320. And then, so then they did that first year, women had to run 320. It didn't matter if you were 18 or 90. <laughs> there was no, there was no for age groups or age. So. It was, you know, and then they said, oh, okay, we got to make some adjustments for people that are older. So then they said, okay, guys, if you're over 40, 310, guys under 40, 250, women, 320, women over 40, 330. So that meant 330 for women, 40 to 90, whoever could. Do and it's like, you can't do that. Like the, the American record for like women over 60 was not even that fast at the time you know not the boston qualifier was faster than the american record for women in those older age groups so then they started doing the, what they do today with a lot of age groups so. you know when i started to only see a few women in races to now go to races where there's more women than men it's unbelievable that physically been able to watch that change i love what the sport's done for women i think it's done so much to uh get us involved in um in the community with men and just like get our like i don't know confidence up and everything like that i i think yeah. it's awesome that we get to be a part of it yeah yeah i was told i was in a doing a seminar last fall in Philly and uh, you know I talked about the women coming into the sport how cool it was how to start to physically witness the changes and things like that and I said now all you women you run the sport and uh, they all told me uh, no we actually run the world oh snap you didn't know ha! but as you said it gave for them for women to say that to me really shows the confidence they have I mean I know they were kidding around but they were sort of not kidding around like they really feel they now can make so much change. It's really cool. I was, I was taken back in a really positive way. Are you still racing? Yeah. You know, I'm entered in more races right now than I have in like the last, well, COVID had a lot to do with that, but yeah, right. the last three or four years, I got a Shamrock half marathon coming up in Virginia beach, the love run in Philadelphia, which is a half marathon the week after Shamrock, the week after that, I have a, a 10 hour race where I'm going to hopefully try to do like 40 miles. It's a pretty rugged trail where you just continue to do this four mile loop. Someone who's going to win the race and run 70 some miles will be cheered on the whole way. Myself, I will be abused every time I come around that every <laughs> But it's all right. I got a 50K I want to do somewhere this, you know, summer. So keep it cool and enjoy. What's your favorite uh, distance? Or, I mean, you can answer that what it, what it was and what it is now, I guess. Yeah. So these days, half marathon would be my favorite di distance, but I really did. You know, the normal way I would answer that question is 50 miles because I didn't know until I raced that 50 mile race that you could just turn it on for 50 miles. And like when I did that, the first 50 mile race I did, I I ran every step, didn't, you know, took a little bit of fluid every once in a while, took a couple of bites of a power bar every once in a while. And just, you know, I did slow down like the last mile, but I ran consistently for the first 49 miles. I remember trying to set a pace, you know, what should I what should I try to do? What should I run? And I don't know why I pick like just out of the blue 725 per mile or whatever, 720 per mile. I was just, you know, nailing. They had this, uh, we we're going around this lake. It was like a seven mile course. 
and then you would see her split at seven miles and i was real consistent and i was you know right you know under that 730 per mile pace for the whole thing and i remember there were some people out there on bicycles and i was running faster than they were riding their bicycles and that the guy said to me he said he said buddy how far are you running so it's a 50 mile race where i'm at like mile 45. he got off the bike <laughs> he was so mad because i was passionate. like i'm out of here yeah it was so funny <laughs> but they were they were an older group of cyclists oh fiddle faddle speaking of races is that a favorite of yours or do you have what do you have a Conrad, favorite Conrad is still my favorite race i mean there may be other races that have more of a sentimental feel to them like uh the rome marathon because my mom went along and uh it was really funny because my mom was used to me racing and she was a big fan of my career it was really fun to have her at races but when uh when i did rome you know i knew i just wanted to do it i didn't care about my time so when i saw her at trevi fountain i stopped and gave her a hug and got my picture with her and uh it's my favorite running photo picture of my mom smiling she passed in 2008 so at the time i didn't think like this would be my favorite running photo but uh thank god i did that and you know i yeah. saw her later on at the spanish steps so she was bopping around the room having a good time is that and in this book i think i saw that picture yes Wait. that picture is in a book that's my mom yeah there she is yeah i did I, I knew i saw it yeah. that's right yeah, at yeah, yeah. and yeah at the rome marathon 21 years ago yeah but yeah that, so you know if you would have asked me in my younger days my favorite running would have probably been a race i won or something like that but right later in life things you know my you brother George said was my father figure died young of cancer you know my mom lived to be 81 so she had a she had a good life uh but she was just the biggest supporter of mine so it was kind of fun to you know have that memory and she did get to see my book before she uh before she passed because she oh, uh, awesome. she every time i go to her she goes in a assisted living place and she said ah, she'd tell me every day i read your book again today and you know for her to read my book she would read like the chapter name and then go to the next chapter and read the chapter name so it was really cool and then she would Aww. say hey, look at my picture <laughs> it was really fun and she said she said, how did you get a photo of me with blonde hair? And she didn't have blonde hair in that photo. She had hair. <laughs> but if she, if she thought she had blonde hair, that's awesome. But if I look at a race about running in the running community, Comrades is the best because they really suppressed the black athletes from running during apartheid in the old days of South Africa. Comrades was first run in 1921 to honor South African soldiers killed in World War I. Twice the distance of a standard marathon, this race is the world's oldest and largest ultramarathon. Until the mid-1970s, only white men were allowed to run, but there had been several unofficial black and female runners before that time. It wasn't until the early 1980s that the Comrades became a space of open political dissent as well as inclusive running. And at some point, the white athletes played a role into saying, hey, you've got to work with the black athletes and allow them to run the race. And, and then what happened is black athletes from South Africa started winning the Comrades Marathon. And you win Comrades in South Africa, you are a national hero. You're like, You're right. here's Nelson Mandela. And right below Nel Nelson Mandela is the, the female and male winner of the Comrades Marathon. It's that big of a deal. And... Uh, it was interesting when Runner World sent me there as a work assignment when I did the race in 2010. Someone in the office asked me when I left, they said, Do you think they'll know you in South Africa? And you'd be, you know, because this person used to see me at all the Boston and New York, and all the runners would talk to me, and everybody knew me. And he said, Do you think that's going to happen in South Africa? I said, I don't know. I walked off that plane in South Africa <laughs> in Durban, uh, where the race finished and uh there were south african runners there to greet me i said how did you guys know i was on this plane and i said oh we knew yeah but it was a very cool race i was not in really good shape to run well but i did finish before they have a serious cutoff at 12 hours but i didn't make it before 12 hours and uh 
one guy greeted me at the finish line, a, a runner by the name of Willie Matolo. And Willie won the New York City Marathon uh, in the days of apartheid. And, you know, when I talked to the black citizens who were runners, you know, they feared for their life every time they went out to run. Uh, because if they got out on country roads, they, they always feared something would happen to them. And uh, I thought, God, if this guy is good enough, to, if Willie was good enough to win the New York City Marathon training in South Africa during apartheid, that, that's, uh, those are the kind of people you kind of give extra props to. Matolo is a former New York Marathon winner and two-time runner-up of the Comrades Marathon. He represented his country at the 1993 World Championships in Athletics. In that same year, he was voted South Africa's Sportsman of the Year. Matolo currently organizes charity runs for peace in South African townships and has opened his own athletic academy called the Willie Athletic Club. I've put links to multiple articles on this incredible athlete in the show notes. Be sure to check them out. Well, yeah, so when I, when I finished, I thought, you know, like the coolest person to meet would be Willie Matolo. And he was there. He says, he said, hey, good job, Barton. I'm like looking at this guy. I'm like delirious from running 56 miles. And I, it took me like a second. I said, you really are Willie Matolo, right? He said, yeah. He gives me this big smile. And, oh, my God. It was so cool. I'll get a hug from him. And I'm like, that is the best. And yeah, it's you can't you can't script it. Like no one said, Willie. Go to the finish line, uh, you know, whatever I finished, 11 hours and 28 minutes or whatever. I mean, he was there welcoming people all day. But I was just so lucky to have the moment with him. And that was really cool. Check out this quote about the Comrades Run from tabletmag.com by Joseph Dana. A link to this article can be found in the show notes. During Comrades, divisions fade. Runners come from every sector of society. Late in the race, when you look around at your fellow runners and know they too are suffering, you realize that pain is the great equalizer. It does more to break down barriers than any effort the government has tried since the fall of the apartheid. That's the thing about running. I think it just brings everybody like together in a way. It doesn't matter like what, you know, what part of the world you're from, like whatever, like we respect each other because of like, we all have this common like thing, like hard work and getting to yeah. the finish line. There's just something that we share. And um, I, I look up to all kinds of people for all different kinds of reasons. It's not necessarily like the fastest runner or the winners or whatever, like the people that are running five hour marathons. I'm like, dude, that is so hard. Like yeah, to be out there for five hours. Like I have so much respect for like the last person that comes in on a race. So it's yeah. like, that's what that, I, I just love it. Yeah. That's the thing of our sport. Like when I used to walk into my office at runner's world, I used to say every day I walked in there, you know, I have to do my job my normal job but i always say it's not in my job description but it's a personal thing for me i gotta convince someone every day that's not a runner to be a runner to change their life maybe running can change your life that's right maybe running can help maybe running can help there you go and that's what i did and i you know met with people that were drug addicts and you know you name it uh i spoke to a lot of kids i went all over the place and i you know, I always said, all I have to do is get them to a group run at a running store or a group run at a running club or that first race. And then my job is done because the yeah. running community takes over. And then that's what that's what's so it's so hard to convince someone into going out there to run that may be a little overweight or they think they'll finish last. They'll be the slowest person. And I get it because I I'm sure I thought the same way. Uh, but. You know, once they get out there and they realize, wow, people are nice to me. <laughs> they don't care that I'm yeah. going back here and run whatever pace. And that's when that that's when things really change. So that's why I always looked at my job to just make the change happen. Yep. I'm immersed in the running community, and then it's up to them what they want to do. If they want to continue on and take it to the next level, or you know, I got this uh, message on Instagram from a principal at a local school, uh, elementary school. And I used to go speak to this school. It was a, a school that really needed help. It was in the roughest part of the town. And, uh, you know, kids had a tough life. And this 
principal used to be there when I used to speak to the kids. And, you know, he was always behind me somewhere. And he was an overweight guy. Uh, and I never thought he really paid attention to what I was talking about. I thought he was just here because he's the principal of the school. Well, he now runs marathons and sends me messages all the time. And he said he was always tuning in to what I was talking about. He could always tell how much I loved the sport and what I got out of it. And then one day he just said, hey, I got to make a change. I need to lose weight. I need to change. And he took up running and, you know, now runs marathons. But it's so cool to, to realize the person I didn't even make eye contact with, who just happened to be in the room, was I really inspired and really took up running and it's changed his life and he's so happy about it so it's kind of fun bart worked at runner's world for 30 years and retired in 2017. he served as the magazine's chief running officer since 2007. he traveled the world inspiring and educating runners of all levels when i walked out of my office at runner's world after 31 years and officially retired i i gave him a year warning a year advance that i was going to retire i said oh, i've traveled everywhere i'm really you know struggling health wise i'm going to retire next year at this time so so i put out a good warning because i thought whatever they want me to do or whoever whatever they want me to teach what what uh who they're going to replace me with or whatever I'm, I'm here i'll help out and of course i'll do my job till my last day in runners world. But when I, uh, in like the last month before I was officially retired, did all these interviews. And the question people always asked me was, what's the message you want to leave with runners as you walk away from your job? And I said, you know, I want runners to know how inspiring they are to a lot of people, many people that they will never even meet. Uh, someone's watching them, whether it's someone at their work or church or neighborhood, whatever it is. And I said, the person, they may never know it. And I always use this example of this autistic kid who he used, he used to be with his mom at races and his mom would come to my talks and this young, her son was with him, with her. I mean, uh, so one day I get this email from this woman and it's like, Hey, this is what my son said last night. And I was like, I got it right here, actually. Let me get this so I know I'd see it right. Yeah, here it is. So this woman sent this to me. She says, yeah, I talk to my son all the time. You know, he, in his autistic world, he doesn't really talk a lot. But I always ask him, you know, how was your day? What's going on? You know, that kind of stuff. And most of the time, he doesn't say anything. But she said, this night, he, like, started talking like crazy and I was writing everything down. So he said, uh, this is what he said to his mom. He said, I wish I knew why I had no friends. I know it's because I don't understand how to be a social, be in social situations, but I just want friends my own age to like me. I wish Park Yasso was my age. I'm like, Jesus Christmas, this kid. I'm like, so I, I get up and close my door in my office, which I never did at Runner's World, but this thing really hit me when he said that. I said, he's, he's really a good person, and I think he, he would be a great friend. He would be okay with me not knowing how to talk to people, and he, he wouldn't make fun of me for, like, video games and being awkward around people. He makes me feel like I'm not bad. Jeez. Oh, and I'm like, whoa, this is heavy stuff. And he said, uh, I, said I wish other people would want to hang out with me like they hang out with him. I wish that I could be around people and socialize with them like he does. I wish I could be Bargasso just for a day. And then, you know, after all that, he had the greatest ending because this this actually, I went from visibly being shaken to, to laughing because he said, yeah, I want to be Bargasso, except I want to do all that running crap that he does. <laughs> so it's, but how could I have ever known that a young autistic kid wanted to be me except that i knew it because you know he told his mom and then uh, but he was you know i've never and how would i've ever known like he just was there at the race with his mom and you know he his mom didn't know so how would i have ever known so i use that as an example 
that one sticks to me the most because I did then go do a 10K race with, uh, with him and his mom, which was really cool. How did he react to that? He was, he was, he would run away from us and we couldn't keep up with him. And then he would, he would realize that he was far ahead of us and he would sit in the curb till we came along and then he would run with us and then he would get ahead of us again and sit on the curb. It was really, he didn't, I tried to teach him like, just run with us. He didn't want any part of that. We're, we're running too slowly for him. So it was, but you know, we became really good friends in the end. So it was really cool. You know, people always ask me, how do you do this stuff you do? You get all these speed engagements, you do all this stuff and go to all these races. I said, I'm just myself. Like, I just wake up being Baryasso. I never, I don't follow a plan or I don't have a coach or a life coach or what. I, like, I just, myself. I said, this, it happened to me. So if it happens to me, it can happen. It is happening to other people and it can happen to everyone. That's the other thing. I, I try to get people that, think they get into running a little bit I convince them into volunteering for a race because in mm. when volunteering for the race there's going to be somebody that runs by them that looks just like them whether they're older skinny heavy you know whatever it is you know have a not the greatest running form and then they're going to say god if that guy can do it or that one guy, I can do this you know and, yeah. and and that's the snowball effect. That's why the sport really took off. It became more of a social sport. Bart's idea that running isn't just a sport for the young, fit, and athletic was a shift for the sport, which for years focused on fast finishes and elite marathoners. They used to call us the loneliness of a long-distance runner. That was like a real term in the old days. And it really was true because there weren't all these social groups and stuff like that. It just didn't happen. And when you ran with a couple guys like I did back in the 70s, 80s, they, they tried to kill each other in the workout. It wasn't no like, you know, we'll run together and help each other. It was like, uh, oh no, I'm going to leave you behind and trash you on this workout. It was a, it was a different world. And that's exactly, that's exactly what I'm trying to like communicate and put out. Like, it's not just about their performance and PRs. It's about the community. It's about, um, I mean, I, I, like you said, like just giving people that introduction and the community basically just takes you in and, and embraces people. And it's such an incredible, um, it's such an incredible sport for so many reasons. And I think it really is, does teach you a lot about yourself. When you said it's like, you know, how did it change my life? You know, it's hard to explain. Uh, I mean, it changed my life in so many ways, but there was one easy way that I, Later in life, after I've been running 30 some years, I look back at some of the people that I associated with when I was drinking beer, smoking pot, and really didn't have focus to, to do well in life. And uh, I wrote down a bunch of names of the people. And then I, you know, tried to figure out what they're up to now. And what I found out is most of them died of drug overdose, suicide, things like that, like a high percentage of them. So, I mean, that was the road I was on. So, yeah, God, I took that detour and picked up running and, you know, when I picked up running, I never knew what, it would, what would happen, but I literally ran through that door of running space, yeah. community, and it was the uh, best thing that ever happened to me. Yeah, and I, when, when it comes down to being thankful for running, I always think, you know, my, my better half, we met through running. So uh, I met Ann uh, this, later this year. It'll be five years we've been together. And uh, if it wasn't for running, we'd have never met. And we have okay. really a good – we're a good, solid team. We really love each other and have a great relationship, and it's really fun. And I always think of all the good times we have, and I always – just drives that point home. Without running, we, I guarantee you, we would have never met. But she sent me a message, had some running question, and then she was in nursing school and sent me some helpful information about dealing with Lyme disease. And I just sent her a message saying, well, 
you know, hopefully we'll be in the same town at a race and we'll go for a little run together and I could thank you and you know, never knowing that we would end up together. And that was just, uh, it's crazy. That's uh, amazing. A lot to be thankful for was basically the answer. Well, you are an inspiration. You have just done so much for the running community and inspired so many people. And I want to thank you for sharing um, your stories with sure. us today. And I am just really thankful to be connected um, with you and to be able to share you with uh, the listeners. So thank you. Thank you. Thanks for what you're doing. And as I said, your women are running our sport of running and running the world at the same time. And you're, the messages you're delivering people, you're going to change people's lives. So keep up the great work. And I thank you for having me as a guest. All right, guys. I thought that was so much fun. I hope you enjoyed the episode with Mr. Bart. Yeah. So he is such a great guy. Let's see if he has any final words for us. really wish I could have taken a selfie. Get a selfie, selfie. Okay, Bart, seriously, send us off with some inspiring words. You got to do the hard work to get the results. That's, that's the, base, the basics of running. I don't know about you, but I think what I just heard Bart say is that we need to embrace the Yasso 800s. Oh, fiddle faddle. Thanks for listening to Maybe Running Will Help. This podcast is a production of Anchor. If you like this show, remember you can hear it here on Anchor, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Pocket Casts, or any app you use to listen to podcasts. If you want to get in touch, you can leave me a voice message or direct message me on Instagram or Facebook at Maybe Running Will Help. If you have a story you are willing to share with the community, please reach out. Keep running, keep inspiring, and keep sharing how Maybe Running Will Help. Have a great run, everybody. Maybe not.